0: All right, let's look at the Word this morning. And as we get started, um, I want to try and take us through this uh, piece for piece and try and help us to think through it. Um, And hopefully you don't feel like it's fire and brimstone by the end of it. Um, I hadn't thought about fire and brimstone until um, JJ actually mentioned it. Now I'm getting worried. Um, But before we begin... uh, let's uh, just commit the the time that we actually spend in God's Word together uh, because this is an important aspect um, as we think through what God has to say to us through His Word. So gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time this morning that we get to turn to Your Word and that as we do so, uh, we are challenged by it. And it makes us uncomfortable at times. Uh, It stirs us. And often we can sense that you are a god that definitely does probe or search our minds and our hearts and lord that as we do this this morning as we read through this as we think through this as we share with one another that lord you will speak to us speak to our hearts speak to our minds and soften us to hear what you have to say and some things might not be easy to hear but may we hear the truth of who jesus christ is and despite the the hardness of of certain things that your word can say, there is life in it as well, and there is a hope in it, and there is a truth in it. So, Lord, as we as we dig into your word, may we may we see the hope, may we see the truth, may we see the goodness of the Lord God that we serve. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, to begin, uh, this is a psalm of David. Let me just say, <clears> throat> my throat is a little bit croaky this morning. I don't know why. I think I might be getting a little bit ill. So I apologize if I sound funny. So this is a psalm of David. As to where this fits into David's life, we're not 100% sure. There is debate as to exactly where it fits in. Um, <clears throat> but if you want to go and do some reading, um, this most likely will fit into more the beginning part of David's David's life and his his role as king or leading up to his role as king at least. Um, So if you wanted to go and read for yourself, you can go and read 1 Samuel 24 to 26 and you might see some of these kind of themes running through that we hear in this psalm this morning. Um, The reason for saying that uh, is, first of all, David, at that point in his life, he, he had a very... Straightforward kind of life before he started complicating it with his sinfulness and deeds and things that he did, but at, in the beginning of his ministry it, or uh, of his kingship, it seems as though this psalm would fit in quite nicely, because he he claims to 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 say certain things. So, for example, uh, in one Samuel twenty-four verse eleven, he makes a statement where he says, "I have not sinned against you," um, and this is talking about in light of Saul. And he says other things, may the Lord judge between me and you. Um, and he talks about the Lord as judge quite often in this in this section. And as we see in the psalm, and as we've already heard this morning, there's a lot of judgment in here, and you kind of hear that language coming through, but there's a weird kind of way that he's talking about it. He's he's talking about it quite strongly. He's talking about it with a lot of confidence. Um, and as we'll work through the psalm, you'll, you'll hear that language coming through of, of David, how he is saying, Lord, if, if you need to judge, and judge me, but judge me according to my righteousness, and yet he makes these statements as if he's not sinned, as if he's not done anything wrong, um, and if we know David's life, we know that he becomes questionable in certain areas of his life, but this particular section in, in 1 Samuel 24 to 26, there seems to be these characteristics of a David that was actually living a life that was honorable to God in one sense and doing what was right in in God's sight and so when Saul was setting out to, to try and kill David, David was found himself at the back of the cave at one point and he cuts off a piece of of Saul's garment and shows it to him later and says, "I had the opportunity to kill you but I didn't And so he shows this act of what we could see as maybe righteousness but also, That he wasn't set out to repay his enemies and to judge his enemies according to how he would see fit. And this happens again in another case where um, he saves Saul's life essentially again. And he does it through this, this story. And it seems so bizarre because in that circumstance it would seem the right thing to do. That he would need to gain power. But yet he sees that it is more important to honor God and God's ability to judge than to take judgment into his own hands. And so this is the kind of David, I think, in one sense, whether it is that section where where the psalm comes out of or not, it's definitely that kind of setting that we have. We have this David who is being pursued by his enemies, or his enemy, or however you want to kind of capture that. Um, I like how he captures it in the first two verses in particular. So let's take a look there. It says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge? Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Another really great part is verse 2. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering, uh, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. I mean, you have this image immediately at the start of the psalm of David running from his enemy and these lions, or this lion coming to actually just rip him apart. Um, so. Psalms are helpful like that. They give you these images to really think through what the psalmist is experiencing, what he's feeling. And, and it helps us to think what, what David is expressing here. He's saying he's being pursued by this ferocious lion that is bloodthirsty, wanting to rip him apart. And what does he do? He doesn't turn around and take this lion head on, but he falls to his knees and he cries out to God, saying, Lord, I'm being pursued here. I'm being hunted by my enemy. I'm being chased down and I cry out to you, save me. Save me. Protect me. So hopefully you get a feel for where the psalm is going. That is his context. There are enemies pursuing him. They are like lions ready to rip him apart and he cries out to God. Well, verses 3 to 5 give us a little bit more context and this helps us now to understand maybe more of what David is actually talking about here uh, in the psalm, psalm um, verses three it says verses three to five. It says, "O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands." Now that seems to be quite a vague but bold statement. If I have done this. If I have wrong in my hands, seems to be the answer is probably you have. You have done wrong at some point. You have wrong in your hands. But David is being a little bit more particular here. Because verse 4 informs us a little bit better. He says, if I have repaid my friend or this person that's pursuing him with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. So here he's saying more specifically, he's saying, If I have actually inflicted something upon my friend or my enemy that is unjust or unrighteous or wrong, then God, by all means, do what you need to do to me. Because then I'm guilty. So David is calling out to God and he's saying, save me, but look at my life as well. Examine me in this circumstance. In this moment I have my enemy that's pursuing me and if I've taken something from him without cause or if I have done something to this person and repaid them with evil well then Lord you be the judge of me Who of you would be bold enough to stay to say that this morning When you look at your life, when you think about your circumstances, when people are angry or coming at you for something, would you be willing to turn around and say, God, God, help me, but um, if I've done something wrong against this person, you deal with me. You take care of me. You sort me out. I mean, kind of, we would rather err to the side of going, well, if I've done something wrong, let them sort me out. Because I think God, when he sorts something out, He, he sorts it out. He doesn't do a half measure here he will deal with the problem. And if you are the problem, he's going to deal with you. But David has this boldness as he, as he cries out to God. He says, Lord, if I've really done something wrong here, then you deal with me. But he's so convinced that he's being pursued for no true reason at all, that he's not done something wrong. He has not been unfair. He's not stolen. He's not repaid evil for evil. But he has truly sought God in this circumstance. And so he confidently falls to his knees and he says, Lord, you be the judge. You be the judge. So that verse 5, let the enemy pursue me and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. He's saying, God, if I am guilty, you can wipe me out. Allow my enemy to kill me then. If I'm guilty of doing anything wrong toward my enemy, let him kill me. God, that's your judgment, and let it be that. Do it. I know that's not something that I would easily pray. That's a scary thing to, to ask for. But there's this confidence that comes through in this psalm, and I hopefully you'll pick it up as it, as it builds. So listen to verses 6 to 13. I've put 6 to 13 there for you to uh, to just think through. It's a, it's a chunky piece, and we're going to w- run through it quickly. But it can be broken up into smaller parts. But I think it's important to capture all of the, this idea of, of judgment that is being spoken about here. Uh, and it's judgment toward both what's good and what's bad, or this good and evil, or and, and hopefully we can see that. This righteousness and wickedness is this tension in this judgment that's being spoken about here. So verse 6, it says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered around you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples judge me o lord according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me o let the evil of the wicked come to an end and the way you establish and may you establish the righteous you who test the minds and the hearts o righteous god my shield is with god who saves the upright in heart god is a righteous judge And a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So if you're getting a feel for what's happening here, uh, that's why I kind of captured it in uh, kind of bookend at 6, and, six to 13, because you have this feeling where he says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. And then verse 13, he come, kind of comes to this concluding point to some degree where he says, God is now prepared. His weapons are ready. So God in his anger is arising, and he is going to, he's going to attack. He's going to act out accordingly. But what's interesting to notice in this section is first of all, that David has this confidence to call on the Lord's anger. He says, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. He's calling God to rise up in his anger against his enemies. And he continues, he says, awake for me, you have appointed judgment. And he's saying, God, essentially, you be the judge for me here. I can't be the judge in my circumstance. You need to be the judge. And this has just followed him saying, God, examine me. Examine me. If I'm guilty, then let my enemy pursue me and kill me. But otherwise, arise, O Lord. And you, in your anger, deal with my enemy. Let your judgment then not be, if it's not for me, let it be for my enemy. then something interesting that he says in verse 8 is this. And again, it's one of those phrases that I'll ask you as well. Would you have the confidence in saying this? The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. And according to the integrity that is in me. Would you say that? Would you ask God... To judge his peoples, judge yourself, have God judge you according to your righteousness and according to your integrity. Would you? Do you think you're righteous enough to say that? Do you think you have enough integrity to actually make that request of God that he will judge you according to your righteousness and your integrity? I think for me, this week in particular, I would run from that comment, that plea, like I would run from the lion that he mentions in the beginning. Because we have these moments in our lives where we realize that our own righteousness will not be enough. Our integrity is not enough for God's judgment. God's judgment over us, in, in light of what David is saying here, to actually make that comment would be so frightening. I would be afraid of how God would respond to that. But then verse 9, he carries on. Um, and, and if that wasn't enough, if the righteousness and your integrity is not enough, um, David probes even deeper. And I love how he actually says this. He says, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the, right, establish the righteous you who test the minds and hearts, and there's other versions of it, some say, you examine, you you probe, which is actually one that I really like, you probe the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. So this is the God that David is calling out to So beside the point whether he is righteous or not, he still goes further and says, God, you are the one that is examining, you're you're probing the minds and the hearts of, of man. And you will know what goes on. Whether we want to admit it or not. So whether we're sitting here thinking whether we're righteous or not and willing to say it or not. Well, God is a little bit more intense than that. He's going, well, I know exactly what's happening in your heart and in your mind. Whether you want to admit it or not. He knows. He knows and so David cries out that God he says my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart God is a righteous judge so he said it just before in the end of verse 9 o righteous God and he says in verse 11 again God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day if a man does not repent God will wet his sword he has bent And readied his bow. If we are unwilling to repent. This enemy is unwilling to repent. The one that stands against God. That is unwilling to repent. His sword is ready. It is sharp. His bow is ready. His deadly weapons are ready. So yeah, there's probably the fire and brimstone. And that sounds frightening. And that's good. So psalm can also do that, stir you up a little bit. And it should. It's not a bad thing, but hopefully we'll get to a conclusion that there is good news in the psalm, so bear with me. There's still a little bit more to go. Verse 14 to 16. This section, again, for me, I love these sections because they're so illustrative. They they paint pictures that just help you to understand what what the psalmist is saying. So David says "Yeah, Behold, uh, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. If that sounds familiar, you might have heard something similar in James 1 to 15, where it speaks about sin giving birth to, to death. And essentially, this is the same kind of concept. Um, someone that is wicked is conceiving evil and is going to give birth to this thing is pregnant with mischief and gives, as it says, gives birth to lies. It's something that consumes, that becomes destructive, and it's it's not a good thing. Uh, verse 15, another image here. He says, he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. I mean, that kind of gets you to want to laugh a little bit. Who digs a hole and then falls into it themselves? I mean, didn't you realize you just dug a hole and... But he says, "This is, in one sense, this is the nature of it, of of evil, is you digging these holes, and you're the one that are, you're going to end up falling into the the result of your own wickedness." And isn't that peculiar? And we we think maybe even we go one step further, and we think, no, we cover it up, and we set traps for other people, and we go and fall into that trap. But this is the kind of image that he's giving. Uh, and then sixteen again, he says. His mischief returns upon his own head um, and on his own skull his violence descends. Uh, another image to just have there is you can think of it as a spring. You know, you when you pull a spring out like this and it shoots back and it hits you. Uh, or another thing is a whip. The f- strange thing, a whip, is you, you whip it. But as it goes out to make the crack noise, it can also have a, a, a another effect that it comes back and it hits you. Other things, I mean... If people, are, people here like no guns and those kind of things, I mean, I don't know, I'm not very fond of guns, but a lot of people with these big rifles, I mean, they say the one thing you don't do is you don't hold a rifle like just a little bit too far away because the recoil can break your arm and all. I mean, that's this kind of thing. You, you're using it for the wrong intention and it recoils, it hits you and it hurts, it, it damages you. And so these are the images that it's having. It's, there are consequences. To your wickedness. Where there is wickedness, there will be consequences. And That's a difficult one to swallow. Uh, We we delude ourselves because we think we can get away with it for long. We think we can keep getting away with our wickedness, our evil, our sinfulness. No, today I won't get caught. No, today I'll be fine. The reality is that it comes around. Somehow, in some way... It bites. And so this is essentially the bulk of what David is saying. He's, he's now painted these images for us again of wickedness. But now, obviously, this wickedness that he's painted is in light of also the judgment that God's anger, his wrath is burning against. So this wrath and anger that God has is towards this kind of thing. This wickedness, this recoiling effect of sin and yet, in the middle of it, he's, he's holding his ground and he's saying, Lord, but in light of all of this, I have not done anything wrong. In one sense, you could think of David. He, he's saying, I haven't gone out and dug pits for my enemy. I haven't been conniving and digging holes to capture my enemy. And for that reason, I won't fall into them. In the same way, he's not caught, done mischief, and run off um, doing stuff that will recoil and hit him. Because, in all honesty, he's done nothing that deserves that. So you have these two images this wickedness running through the psalm, but also this image of righteousness running through it. And it's a question of righteousness. It's a question of are you being are you righteous? And then the last verse. <clears throat> to a seemingly challenging and frightening psalm. Uh, David ends it, and this should be the tone that we get to at the end of the psalm. Um, he says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Now for me, if, if you read it just on face surface, Face value, surface level, read through the psalm, you're going to struggle to think how did David get to that conclusion? How did he get to the end of that psalm and confidently say, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and I will sing praise to his name of the Lord the Most High? How did David get to that? David has a confidence. David has a confidence because he knows the God that he serves. David has a confidence because he understands that God is a righteous God. David understands that within his circumstance that he has done nothing wrong, that he can confidently come to God and say, Lord, in this circumstance, I've done nothing wrong. So, Lord, you be the judge. It's easier to come to someone and ask them to defend you when you know that when they start digging, they're not going to find anything against you. And I've been watching probably far too much lawyer series and stuff. So those moments in the courtroom, I don't know who of you enjoy that kind of crimes, not so much crime, but more the, the law and order kind of stuff. And they're standing in the courtroom and there's the guy, the lawyer, defending his client. And then he, his client goes up on the podium to testify something. And uh, the other guy stands up and says, you did this, this, and this. And then the lawyer looks, his lawyer looks at him and it's like, you didn't tell me this. How am I supposed to defend you if you didn't tell me this? And so often these kind of moments happen in these things. And it's an interesting thing because... It's hard for God to defend us or to to be on our side in one sense, however you want to think about it, if we are not honest with Him. But in David's case, he is saying he is righteous in this case. He's done nothing wrong. But the reality is that this is not true for all of life. We can't say this for every area of our lives. Maybe there are significant small areas that you might actually think you're righteous But if a bit of digging is done, perhaps you'll find that you're a little less righteous than you realized. What makes this psalm difficult to digest is rather than being like David in the psalm, we are on the other end of the psalm. We are all too often the wicked people that David is calling God to come down upon. Because if you examine your own heart and your own life, you may begin to see that you are the one pursuing people things for the wrong reason without proper cause so unfortunately when we read the psalm we're going to be in the position of feeling that the harshness of it feel the heat of it because in one sense this psalm is exposing the fact that there is no one that is truly righteous. But righteousness is a wonderful thing. Because I think David had confidence not so much in his own righteousness but actually in the righteousness of God. Like he says in verse 9, O righteous God, and again in verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. But God is the righteous one. And God will judge righteously. So as you are now sitting here without any other thoughts in your mind through this week that you've experienced. On your own, would you have the confidence to come to God and ask Him to judge you according to your righteousness? Was this there something that you need? Something that you need as a guarantee to know that when you ask God that, that there is a certainty that his judgment will be good. Because the reality is, as we sit here, we can't ask God this on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't plead like David pleads. And we can't do that for all of our life. It doesn't help just one area. We want to do this. We want to plead this psalm over all of our life but we can't do that we can't do it because we are the wicked people in the story as challenging and as difficult as that sounds because of our sinfulness we can't do that on our own but God made a plan God had a way and God gave us someone Someone far better than David. Someone who could pray this prayer over every, every, every detailed little aspect of his life. And confidently know that God's judgment was good. Because God is a righteous God. And the only way that we can confidently come to God and pray something like this is in the reality of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ came into this world and lived a righteous life. And because of that, He could cry out to God in this kind of way. He could cry out to God to save Him. But it's not because God saved Him that we have confidence in Christ. But it's in confidence that God allowed Christ to endure the grave, to go through the grave, and to rise up again, that we have a confidence. That He went through the thing that we should face. That He endured the penalties of sin and death. So that when we turn to him, we see his righteousness. We see his hand extending to give us life. To save us from the snarling lion behind our back. See, Jesus lived this righteous life. And though he asked God to take the cup of suffering from him, He also knew that God's will was that he had to go through the suffering. He had to endure at the hand of his enemies so that he can save. So this is the the absolute remarkable thing about reading the psalm in light of Jesus. That when we look at it, God's answer is Jesus. But not just that, it's that Jesus has endured this. Jesus has endured the pursuit of enemies to the point of death so that He can save us, so that He can rescue us, and so that when we cry out to God, God, judge me according to my righteousness. It's not by our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He judges So the judgment that we receive from God when it is in Christ, it's completely different. But outside of Christ, what do we have? What hope is there? So David had a little bit of insight into who God is. But we have other insight now. Looking back at this We can also stand in that David-like confidence and say, Lord, in all of my life, not just in this circumstance or this issue where my enemy is pursuing me, but in all of my life, judge me. Judge me in light of your Son, Jesus Christ, and His righteousness. And it's in that that we can get to the last verse and actually say, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. Is that good news? We can actually sit here and declare this psalm from the other side. From the fact that we have a confidence that is in Jesus Christ. And that he has saved us. So where David calls out, Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. We can actually say, Lord, let's start at the end. Thank you, Lord. Because in Christ, you have saved me. You are my refuge. And I rejoice in that. And I leave judgment up to you. Whether I'm facing challenges with people at work or at home where I want to do things my way and whatever it is, whoever or whatever the enemy is in your life, do you then have the freedom to say, Lord, I give that to you because you are the judge? And then we can say what Paul says in Romans 12 verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord leave it to god if christ has done it for you you can have confidence to trust god let him be god love him serve him rejoice in him he has saved you from your enemy things in this world don't have that kind of hold on you in christ anymore we are free in christ we are secure in christ let's pray gracious heavenly father we thank you for this reminder this morning we thank you for your word thank you that you are the righteous judge that you are righteous beyond anything that we can be and because of your son jesus christ you you gave us hope a confidence an opportunity to come to you and that when you look at our hearts and our minds and when you examine them you find righteousness that is only found in Christ and that as we are adopted into your family as children that we are adopted into that righteousness and that we get to rejoice and we get to celebrate the fact that we have salvation we have refuge we have so many things in you Lord Jesus and that we can have confidence so Lord where we are stumbling where we are unsure where we are anxious help us to recognize the truth the joy of serving a righteous god you know us and you have shown your love to us through your son jesus christ and we thank you for this in jesus name amen